0: Good morning everyone. You can be seated. Again, my name is Luke. I'm one of the ruling elders here, also in seminary. And it is, as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to bring God's word to you this morning. Well, what do these movies have in common? The Godfather, Rocky, Platoon, Schindler's List, Forrest Gump. Braveheart, Titanic. These are some of the best picture winners at the Oscars from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they're classics that have so embedded themselves in American culture that even if you haven't seen them, you probably know who stars in them, you know what the movie's about, you might even be able to quote some of its more famous lines. Now listen to these movies. Birdman, Moonlight, The Shape of Water, Nomadland, Coda. These are some of the best picture winners from the last 10 years. And maybe it's not a fair comparison because these movies haven't been around as long, but something tells me that these movies aren't going to shape American culture like some of the earlier classics. I used to look forward to watching the Oscars every year, but lately they just haven't been what they used to be. It's been years since I've really watched one. But this year's Oscars was kind of a doozy, wasn't it? (laughs) You might not know who won Best Picture, but you probably know about The Slap. Stand-up comedian Chris Rock was hosting the Oscars this year, and he made a joke about Best Actor nominee Will Smith's wife, Jada. And the joke had to do with the fact that she was bald, which is due to early onset alopecia. And Will Smith, he initially laughed at this joke, but once it sunk in, how much his wife had just been disrespected, his demeanor changed completely. He walked onto the stage of the Oscars and he slapped Chris Rock in the face, full force. After returning to his seat, he yelled a warning to Chris Rock, including an expletive that I won't repeat. He yelled, Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. Well, Chris Rock's joke was probably in poor taste. It's not funny to make fun of bald people. <laughs> if you don't believe me, read Second Kings 2. And Will Smith's use of violence was probably not justified. But he reacted in this way because of the irreverence that was shown to his wife. To Will Smith, his wife's name was sacred. It was not to be shown such dishonor. In his mind, Chris Rock's disrespectful mouth was not even worthy of saying her name. She was off limits, and he let him know it. Well, the third commandment is a much more loving, more perfect, more justified warning given to us about how we treat God's name. And the thing is, God's name isn't just sacred to one person like Jada's was to Will, but his name is objectively sacred. His name is sacred to God himself. But he doesn't just tell us to keep his name out of our mouths. Throughout scripture, he gives us instruction on how we are to actually use his name. We are to treat his name as sacred and holy. Do you think about that? Does the language that you use day to day honor him? Does your your language reflect reverence for him? See, the third commandment, it's more than just about what words we're allowed to say and not say. It also has to do with our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. As R.C. Sproul put it, which is the quote on the front of your worship guide, for out How we treat God's name reflects how we feel about him. What we say with our mouth is a window into what we believe in our hearts. It's why Romans 10 says, With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Our words reveal our hearts. And all too often we are careless and irreverent with the way that we talk about our Lord. So what does that reveal about us? Please turn with me to Deuteronomy 5, verse 11. It's also printed in your worship guide on page 6. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your perfect law. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to change our hearts. May your law not be a burden to us, but help us to see it for what it is. May it be sweeter than honey and finer than gold to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, write your law on our hearts and make us more into the image of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen we've been going through the Ten Commandments over the last couple weeks, and if you remember, Dan's been talking about the three uses of the law, and the Ten Commandments are a summary of the law. The first use of the law is as a mirror, showing us our own inability to keep the law, and therefore our need for a savior. The second use of the law is to restrain evil, giving us a framework for our moral code and the judgment for breaking it. The third use of the law is as a guide For those of us who know Christ, how to serve him out of love and bring glory to his name. And we need to keep these things in mind as we continue to go through the the Ten Commandments. None of the uses of the law is to gain God's favor, to be made acceptable to him. The law is given to us for our own good. As Dan said last week, we don't obey in order to be accepted by God. We are accepted by God through Christ. Therefore, we obey. That's why Deuteronomy 5 begins with a retelling of who God is and what he's done for his people before launching into the Ten Commandments. It's because of who he is and what he's done for his people that we obey him. Dan has also mentioned that the first four commandments deal with how we relate to God and commandments 5 through 10 have to do with how we relate to each other. And we're still in that first section, the part where we uh, relate to God. And so far, we've talked about the first commandment, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. How quick we are to abandon God and to worship other things. And last week, we covered the second commandment, which forbids any false representation of God because of how they limit his glory. And this week, we're going to talk about God's name and how we are to handle the name of God. And what we're going to see in this passage is that we should treat God's name with honor Because his name represents God himself. So first we're going to talk about why we should treat his name with honor. And then we're going to talk about how we should treat his name with honor. The reason why we treat his name with honor is because his name represents his presence. And the ways how we should treat his name with honor are by not speaking his name carelessly but by blessing his name with our speech. So first, we should treat his name with honor because his name represents his presence. Maybe you've never really given the third commandment much consideration. Um, Maybe you were raised in in a tradition like myself that taught that the third commandment was basically just to not use swear words. And there's some truth to that, but that's not the whole story. The third commandment is specifically zeroing in on how we treat the name of God. You might be wondering, what's so special about God's name? Is there something sacred about a certain combination of letters? Are certain syllables actually forbidden by the law from leaving our mouths? And don't you know that God's name is actually Yahweh and that Jesus' given name, his Hebrew name is Yeshua, which translates to Joshua? Well, if that's an obstacle for you, let me deal with that briefly right away. We can talk about it more after the service if you'd like. First of all, yes, Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua. We get the name Jesus by translating into English from the Greek translation of Yeshua. In other words, going from Hebrew to Greek to English, you get Jesus. But the important part is this, that nowhere in the Bible does it even hint that we are only supposed to speak his name in the original languages. Language changes, but the object of our language stays the same. When Moses asked God what his name was in Exodus 3 in the burning bush, God said, I am who I am. I am is represented by the Hebrew tetragrammaton Yahweh. And throughout scripture, God also calls himself God, the Lord. The Holy One of Israel, Our Father, Alpha and Omega, among other names and titles. All these names refer to the same God, and every name that God has in the Bible is covered by the third commandment. It includes God the Father, it includes Jesus, it includes the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity are God, and their names are holy. So why is God's name so important? Well. In Exodus 33, when Moses was talking to God on Mount Sinai, he asked God to show him his glory. And the part of that story that we tend to remember is how Moses was only able to catch a glimpse of God's back, and even just that glimpse of glory was enough to make Moses' face shine. But what we forget is how God used his name during this encounter. God said to Moses in Exodus 33, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And in the next chapter, when he does this, when he passes before Moses, he does so proclaiming his name, the Lord, the Lord. Why would he do that? Why would he say his own name? Moses knew who he was. He'd been talking to him for 40 days. Could it be that God's name is more than just a combination of letters on a page. Perhaps God's name is intrinsically attached to his very being. That's why in Proverbs chapter 18, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Psalm 20, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 61 says, I will sing praises to your name. Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Acts 4, which we heard earlier, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The list goes on and on. Throughout scripture, God's name is directly associated to his very presence. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book on the Ten Commandments. It's a good book. I highly recommend it if you want a companion piece to go along with this sermon series. And in his chapter on the Third Commandment, he says this. Our name is not tangential to our being. It marks us and identifies us. And over time, as people get to know us, our name embodies who we are. Think of someone whom you love deeply, your child, Grandchild, parent, friend, or spouse, the name of that person represents more than just markings on a page. For example, when someone says the name Tracy, I don't just think about the letters in her name or mere facts about her. I don't just think about the fact that she's my wife and she's an accountant and that she loves when I mention her in my sermons. For me, when I hear her name, I think about her qualities as a person, about how I feel about her, and who she is as a holistic person. The fact is, there are probably millions of Tracys in the world, but her name is special to me because I have a special relationship with her. But there is only one God, and His name is objectively holy. How much more is His name tied to His identity than ours? How we use the name of God matters because his name represents his presence. God is omnipresent, meaning he is present at all places at all time, including here with us now. But his name is so uniquely attached to his presence throughout scripture, it's practically interchangeable with his person. That's why Psalm 113 says, Blessed be the name of the Lord, which we just sung earlier. It could just say, blessed be the Lord. But by blessing his name, we are blessing him. Do you see now why R.C. Sproul said, how we treat God's name reflects how we feel about him? The way we use God's name, whether it's flippantly, in anger, if it's force of habit without thinking about it, the way we treat God's name is how we're treating him. And that's why the commandment includes a warning. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, God's name represents his presence, which is why we treat his name with honor. So then how do we treat his name with honor? Well, first we should treat his name with honor by not speaking it carelessly. As the text says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does that mean, to take his name in vain? It's not a phrase we use very often. Uh, J.I. Packer defines the term in vain as any use of God's name that is empty, frivolous, or insincere. The NIV translates this passage, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. When it comes to this commandment, we sometimes just think we need to try better. We need to just clean up our language. We might even kind of laugh about how much we slip up with our language. But this is a command. It's not advice. It's not self-help. It's a command that's punishable by death. There's a reason why Leviticus 24 says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. His name is sacred. Mary said, in Luke chapter one, holy is his name. To take the Lord's name in vain is serious sin. Well, sticking along the line of movies, um, the movie *Sandlot*, which probably should have won an Oscar, um, it's about a group of young boys back in the '60s who spend every minute that they can out on the baseball diamond playing ball. And when Scott Smalls moves to town, he doesn't know the first thing about baseball but he wants to get in with these local boys and make friends. So he starts playing with them, and he is bad, very bad. So bad that he got a black eye trying to catch the ball. So bad that he wouldn't even try to throw the ball, because he was too embarrassed, he just hand-delivered it. Well, one day when the boys were playing, Benny Rodriguez hit the baseball so hard that it fell apart. The problem was, it was the boy's last ball, so Smalls, this new kid, he gets a great idea. He knows where his stepdad has a baseball. He's seen it, in his trophy room. So he goes home, he gets this baseball, and proceeds to hit his first home run ever with it. Over the fence, into the territory of the beast. Which, if you've seen the movie, is the neighbor's vicious dog. And rather than celebrating with the rest of his team over his first home run, um, you see Small's face just go white, and he tells the team, we need to get the ball back. And if, uh, if you've seen the movie, you know there's no getting the ball back from the beast. The teammates ask him why he needs it back so badly, and he tells them it belonged to his stepdad, and it had some lady's name on it. Ruth. Baby Ruth. Smalls, you mean to tell me that you went home and swiped a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth, and you brought it here and actually played with it? Your are dead as a doornail, Smalls. <laughs> the boys spend the rest of the movie trying to get the ball back from the Beast, knowing that they were in deep trouble for violating such a highly esteemed baseball. Smalls had no idea who Babe Ruth was, and the rest of the team wouldn't have ever treated this ball so carelessly if they had known whose name was on it. How much more should we treat God's name carefully, especially us as Christians who know who he is? So how do we do that? Well, this commandment tells us what we shouldn't do, so let's start there. I'm going to give you three broad categories of ways in which we need to guard ourselves against taking God's name in vain, and then I'll give you a few examples of each. So the first way that we tend to take God's name in vain is in how we keep our promises. First off, it's not inherently sinful to swear by God's name. For example, in the court of law, if you're called upon to testify under oath, they'll ask you to put your hand on a Bible and swear by God's name that you're telling the truth and in this kind of setting, there's an appropriate amount of weight being put on such an oath. Um, It's so serious that it's actually punishable by law if you break it. However, too often we find ourselves swearing by God's name in careless ways, in casual ways, many times without any intention of actually keeping our word. For example, when we try to convince someone of something, we might say, I swear to God. Or, God's honest truth. As God is my witness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, to let our yes be our yes, and our no be our no. He said, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We are not to carelessly swear by God's name. We're just supposed to tell the truth and keep our promises. The second way that we take God's name in vain is by attaching God's name to our own opinions. And this can come in a few different forms. One of the ways that we do this is by attaching his name to prophecy. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate of whether prophecy still exists in our age or what it looks like. My point is that if we're going to say that God told us something we better be very sure that that word is coming from God. If it's not then we're taking his name in vain and we will not be held guiltless. Maybe a more common way that we attach God's name to our own opinions is by saying our preferred political party or social movement is the one that all Christians should join because it's God's way. There is no political party that is God's party. Public school, private school, homeschooling, none of these is God's way of educating our children. Vaccinations, listening to secular music, drinking alcohol, again, we better be real sure about what God says about these issues, if anything before we take a hard stand and cast aspersions because others are going against God's will. The last way that we take God's name in vain is by speaking his name irreverently, using his name casually as an expression of surprise. When we say, oh my God, and yes, even OMG. Or using his name as a curse when we're angry or frustrated. This is the opposite of how his name deserves to be treated. Another way that we show irreverence to his name, uh, maybe a less obvious way, is if our prayers are just thoughtless words. When we're putting our kids to bed, or we're thoughtlessly praying through the Lord's Prayer or the common table prayer, we're actually taking his name in vain. If we're invoking God's name when our hearts are distant... We're breaking this commandment. Jesus said in Matthew 15 of the Pharisees, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Our hearts need to be awake when our lips are speaking God's name. Last way that we uh, speak God's name with your reverence is by making jokes with his name. It can be in obvious ways by literally making jokes about God. Or it can be less obvious. Have you ever gotten a laugh from a well timed, praise the Lord? I know I've done that. That's irreverence. His name is not like ours, it is holy and it is not to be taken in vain. So if his name represents his presence and we know how to not take it in vain, then how should we use his name? Well, we can show his name honor by blessing his name with our speech. Like most of the commandments, the third commandment is stated in the negative. In other words, it tells us what not to do. But the commandment doesn't forbid us from speaking God's name at all. I know this church loves Harry Potter. God's name is not like Voldemort, he who must not be named. It's not a bad word. God's name is not a swear word. His name is a good name. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His name is not one to be hidden away, but proclaimed in all its majesty. Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We're not to abstain from using his name, but we're to make it holy in our speech. It should be set apart Treated unlike any other word that we know. Going back to our sandlot analogy, where did Smalls get the autographed baseball from? Was it tucked away in a shoebox in the closet? Was it under lock and key in a safe? No, the Babe Ruth autographed baseball had been on display for all to see. It was a treasured item that was meant to be protected, but it was too glorious to simply be hidden away. It needed to be displayed for all to see, yet it was not to be treated just like any other baseball. It was not for everyday use, to be tossed around in the dirt, to be hit with baseball bats. This ball was a treasure, too glorious to hide away, and yet too valuable to be played with. It was a ball that needed to be admired, and glorified, and that is how we should treat God's name. We are not to hide it away, but we are not to play around with it either. We are to display it and give it all the honor that it's due. Psalm 105 gives us some guidance on how to treat God's name. Verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 105 say, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Call upon his name. Make his name known among the peoples and glory in his name. Call upon his name in prayer. Make known his name among the peoples by sharing the gospel. Glory in his name through worship, through private time with the Lord, and talking about him with your Christian friends and fellowship. His name is glorious, and it's been made available to all who trust in Christ. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence with his people. The Israelites carried it with them wherever they traveled, but they were not to touch it. As a representation of God's presence, it was too holy to touch. Instead, they had to carry it by special poles that were inserted into place whenever moving it. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see that they were mishandling the Ark of the Covenant. They were pulling it on a cart rather than carrying it how God had instructed them. And when the oxen stumbled, one of the priests named Uzzah reached out to stop the Ark from falling. And as soon as Uzzah touched the Ark, God struck him dead. The holiness of God came into contact with sinful man, and sinful man fell dead as a result. The Ark of the Covenant no longer represents God's presence. Yes, God is present at all places, at all times, just like he was in the Old Testament, but his name is set apart as a representation of his presence. Like the ark, we are to handle his name in proper ways because of what it represents. Uzzah was struck dead for mishandling the representation of God's presence. And the third commandment says that God will not hold us guiltless who take his name in vain. Well, at this point, you might be thinking that you have no hope. You might feel like you're completely unable to keep this commandment. You might feel like God is going to strike you dead next time you take his name in vain. Well, I have news for you. You can't keep this commandment, not perfectly. You can't keep any of them. None of us can. And we are worthy of eternal death as a result. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus kept all of the commandments perfectly. He lived the life that none of us could ever live and died the death that we deserve. For those of you who have trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, God's name is not something to be feared. You have access to him through his Son. You have access to his name because of Jesus. In Matthew 6, Jesus taught us to pray to God as our Father. The Holy God and creator of the universe, Yahweh, has given us his name to call upon as a child calls out to their parents. Romans 10 verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have called out to Jesus, if you have trusted in him alone for salvation, you have the privilege of bearing his name as a Christian. His name is great not to be thrown around carelessly, but it's to be blessed and honored with our speech because of who he is and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name alone be exalted above all others. Lord, we pray that the way we treat your name would reflect hearts that honor and love you Help us to bring glory to your name in the way we speak and the way we live. Your name is holy. Help us to treat it as holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.